Lord Have Mercy is brought to you by Love Big. Love Big, a new book by author and leadership coach Rosella Haiti White, introduces the power of revolutionary relationships modeled after the image of God as a lover. These relationships lead us to love ourselves and others despite hardships and fear in ways that change us all. Learn more about Love Big and get your copy today at fortresspress.com slash lovebig. That's fortresspress.com slash lovebig. A year of service in the Lutheran Episcopal Volunteer Network is an incredible challenge, a life-changing experience, and a phenomenal opportunity. Eleven year is a chance to discern your faith and spirituality through ancient liturgies, modern spiritual practice, and everything in between. You will meet and live with people from all over the country, from all walks of life, who have come to Sacramento to experience intentional community, service to others, and simple living. Find out more and start your application at leaven.org. That's L-E-V-N dot org. You are listening to Lord Have Mercy, a podcast about God, sex, and the Bible. I'm your host, Crystal Cheatham. Today, our guest is Aaron Green. Aaron Green is an affirming biblical scholar and LGBTQ activist. She has a Bachelor of Arts in Biblical Studies from Azusa Pacific University and is current and is a current MDiv student at San Francisco Theological Seminary. Erin is best known for her work in supporting LGBTQ students on conservative Christian university campuses. She is also the co-executive director of Brave Commons, a queer Latinx-led group seeking to dismantle oppressive systems at Christian universities and address the denial of basic human rights of LGBTQ students. I met Erin online as I do most of my guests and soon invited her to write for our Bible app. You can check out her first devotional, Our Feelings Are Holy, in the app with more to come. And now, Aaron. Yeah, so I'm really interested in knowing a bit about like how you grew up and how you ended up going to a Christian university to begin with. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um I I grew up in an evangelical setting with very, you know, traditional evangelical parents, Republican parents. Mm. Uh, and we went to church every Sunday. They forced me to go every Sunday. And I had quite a bit of friends, you know, growing up in that that evangelical culture um, and continued to do that through middle school, through high school, even though it was still like difficult for me because at that point, like high school and middle school, I knew that I was gay or that I was different. Um, but eventually some, some things aligned, um, later in my early thirties to be quite honest, which was wild. Um, Wait, how old are you? Yeah, this is a weird, kind of a weird thing. Um, I'm, I'm in my 30 something. (laughs) Do I just, is it's going on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm 34, and you do look like you could be a teenager. So tell okay. me the truth right now. <laughs> I'm 37. Well, damn. Yeah, I'm going to be 38 in June. That's so amazing. It's, yeah, it's weird. I don't feel like I'm 37, but no, I, I am. Yeah. No, you so there, look like there you, it could, is. you could be 27. Like that I would buy. Huh. Yeah. Okay. I'm okay with that. Like, <laughs> I'm fine with however long that lasts. You know. Okay. Yeah. No. This puts a whole new perspective on our conversation. Yeah. I've, I've been through some stuff. And yeah, man. Like um, after high school, I rebelled hardcore because my parents. I felt like they were so strict. You know. Mm-hmm. So I, I started drinking a lot. I I started going to West Hollywood on my own. I would just honestly lie about where I was going and hang out in West Hollywood. And the only bar I know in West Hollywood is the Abbey. That's one of them. That's one of the places <laughs> I went to a lot. And there were like girl nights. And yeah. so I, I started to become 
very comfortable like being in that community and, and I started gaining friends in that community. But inside, I had so much turmoil because I was not reconciled at all with like the faith part or the traditional part or my relationship with God and, and all those pieces. Mm-hmm. So I felt like I had to split myself into two different people. Yeah. And, you know, there was like gay Aaron hiding out in West Hollywood. And then there was straight passing Aaron, um, you know, when she came home. And I started to drink a lot. And I, I realized like alcohol was a huge consoling, uh, liquid for me. And it really, it took away that feeling of conflict and turmoil and like just soul crushing, you know, anxiety, all those things. And, uh, it, it really ruined my life, um, I got in trouble with some legal things because of my alcohol abuse and that stayed on like my record for quite a long time. So it, it made me feel really badly about myself. So I thought, okay, you know, after all of that had ended, it was like, I'm gay. I'm an alcoholic. I have nothing like I'm just like the scum of the earth. I'm everything that those Christian people teach about gay people, hmm. I'm that person. So I really, I, I think in my early 20s and, and going through that period, I really internalized all that stuff. I hated myself. Hmm. Um, then I found some sort of like semblance of self-value and worth through my job that I had um, in a career that I was in for a while that was actually a wonderful career. And then I... I felt like there's there's got to be something more, and that's when I resigned and I went back to school, and here I am now. And it was one of my professors, oddly enough, uh, in my undergraduate career, my first intro to OT and NT professor, uh, who, who is a retired Presbyterian minister and a PhD in New Testament studies, he was the first person to affirm me as a gay Christian woman who wanted to be in the field of biblical studies. And that was the turning point for everything. What, um, what university was this? This was in a junior college. Okay. I, I, when I went back, I started my first two years out in just a regular community college mm-hmm. because I, when I went to high school and graduated high school, I didn't go to college like all my friends did, and I just worked. Um, that's basically what my, you know, life was like. Um, so that's where that happened. It changed everything for me. That's when I started looking at Christian universities because I knew I wanted to go to, or I knew I wanted a major in biblical studies. But the, the, the dilemma was, is that a secular school would offer religious studies but only a private Christian university actually teaches you the Greek, the Hebrew, gives you like the the deeper portions of like the Christian Bible. Yeah. So that's what I did, um, and I hmm. went to Biola, and so that's when I it, became an activist. It wrecked you that you weren't able to. Um, figure out this or work on this side of yourself. It sounds, I mean, like what a, what a leap to go from um, just hanging out basically is what you're telling me, you know, graduating and just hanging out to go from hanging out and being out in the town all the time. And, you know, just like, I, I mean, I know that kind of lifestyle and what a jump to go from just like that to, knowing specifically what kind of uh, Bible and God and theological experience that you wanted to have. I mean, I'm really curious about, like, what did he say to you? And, like, what did you feel in that moment when he was like, yeah, like, that's, that's, yeah, that's a miracle. It, it is miraculous when I look back on it in hindsight, especially, and even in the moment, it was miraculous I've known as a ch- like as a child and in my youth, I had a very strong connection with God. Mm-hmm. 
and I loved scripture, not the shitty parts that people mm-hmm. um, use as weapons. Mm-hmm. I loved how I could connect with God through this text. And I, and I could do that. And I wanted to do more. I felt like I could do more, that I should do more. Yeah. So when this professor affirmed me, it was like, now I can do all of this. I can do all of these things that I longed to do when I was a child. I wanted to be a, a woman who was in leadership. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do all the things that they said, I, you can't do any of those things, you know? Yeah. So it was like for that, that moment that I had with him, it was like this, the, you know, the light bulb goes off and it's yeah. like, now I can do it all. And that's what I did. And, yeah. and then I read a book called The Bible's Yes to Same-Sex Marriage. I went through the intro of the book with my mom, who was, I mean, for most of my life, she'd been non-affirming. Mm-hmm. I read the intro out loud to her, and I just broke down in tears, like mm. ugly cry, snot flying everywhere, like I was broken. And my mom just held me for 20, 30 minutes with me like that, and she... That was the moment where she finally was like, okay, that this is enough. I'm going to affirm my daughter, you know? And oh. she took the book away from me and she read it herself before I could even finish it. And it was, it was funny because the, um, yeah, she really, she took the initiative. So the author I wound up getting in touch with, his name is Dr. Mark Ochtemeyer. He's a Presbyterian scholar. And I asked him to do our first event at Biola for our LGBTQ group. Mm-hmm. And that, that man was like, yep, I'll do it for free. I'll drive to you. Like he came and was there for us. And I, I just knew that God was saying, yes, yes, yes. This is my ministry. This is exactly what I need y'all to be doing right now for this community. I just think it's incredible that the self-hatred disappeared and you were actually able to distinguish something in yourself as God's voice, you know, to be able to hear it and act on it. Um, it was, yeah, it's, I mean, sometimes I still battle with the self-hatred, Yeah. but, but it was, it was the most liberating moment I've ever had in my life. Like I finally understood what freedom in Christ meant because I was free and I wasn't mm-hmm. held to the standards that everybody was trying to place in front of me, including my parents or the church or anybody else. It was just me and God. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, it was, it was freedom. It is freedom. It's really interesting how that transforms into activism where it's like, wow, I have found some kind of a strength or a tool that it kind of takes all of the pressure off and all of like all the gravity in the room disappears. And then you realize that you can actually turn around and help somebody else through that doorway, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It's for me, it's the natural next step. Like activism may be like, and you know, to, to certain circles, a demonized word, but for me, activism is love like you don't have a moment like that in your life and not be an activist Mm -hmm. because the point for me was I want everyone to have some semblance of what I have experienced here in this this way of freedom and affirmation and inclusion if if everybody who's hurting and in pain in the LGBTQ community can feel that I want to give them that or show that, you know, help show them how, um, or, you know, take the steps to, to tear down systems that prevent them from having that. Parking yourself at Biola though. I mean that, what, a a difficult space. And I know you've also been working with Azusa, uh, Pacific university. And, um, I actually, like when I was with soul force, the equality ride, we stopped at Biola. Were you there? You were not there. I don't, I don't no, think I was. <laughs> May have met with the, the like the founder before or the other executive director who was there before me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, 
Well, we stopped at Biola, and then I also went to Azusa um, uh, maybe a year after that with um, with uh, Mason. Do you know Jay Mason the third? It's a, a poet. No, I <sighs> mean I. Poet. Um, I knew about the Equality Rides. I was working very closely with Jordan okay. at Soul Force. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I knew that Azusa had like some pretty intense um, policies, um, but I was excited to see them actually making moves to be more accepting and affirming to LGBTQ people. And um, I'm interested in your take on the story of what happened. I mean, just like a month, like a couple months ago. I know. Yeah. Helping the young people. It, it so Azusa Pacific is very personal for me because. I, that's my alma mater. Like, okay. so I ended up graduating from Azusa Pacific and I transferred over there from Biola, finished out my last two years at APU. So the final year I was there, um, which was just this, you know, I graduated this time last year, uh, with my degree, my last year there, I spent the, the entire year in negotiations with administration, with, uh, members of the, the board of trustees with other faculty um, because I was basically solicited by the administration there because they wanted to take a step forward and having more dialogue uh, surrounding LGBTQ folks and they wanted to do a better job. So they, they came to me, they knew I was an activist and in these types of arenas uh, and conversations so one of the main things I brought up was I, I asked them to get rid of this policy that banned LGBTQ or same-sex relationships, uh, romanticized relationships. And my argument was essentially you need to get rid of this because here are the statistics which prove that this kind of language um, is stigmatizing, it's hurtful, it's abusive, it's exploitative. And you are doing this to people every single day. Like, do you want that on your shoulders? Um, do you want that on your conscience? And furthermore, like the argument was that you're not holding our community to the same standards as you are straight people. Like, why are you assuming that we're in sexualized relationships? Um, why are you making that assumption? Because if your rule is to be abstinent before marriage, Everybody can do that, and you don't have to call us out, you know, simply for being LGBTQ. Yeah. It was an incremental, tiny ask. It was a logical ask. We weren't asking for the world. We weren't asking for them to change their stance on same-sex marriage or being gay altogether. Yeah. Uh, we were just calling out this inconsistency with their leadership. So they dropped the policy. They agreed to drop it. That's where that whole... Yeah, and like we were celebrating. Event. Yeah. So that was a Brave Commons tactic um, on my part. Like, And with Lauren, too. It, Lauren is an alum from APU. We knew, I knew strategically that APU would never be public about what they did in dropping the policy, but we blew it up in the media. And that really backfired on APU. And they started like, not giving straight answers about what happened. They, they were, they started receiving a lot of negative backlash by conservative constituents, possibly losing donors. They got thrown under the bus by Albert Moeller from uh, Southern Baptist seminary. So they reinstated the policy. And um, that's when the, you yeah. know, what hit the fan and we had to... You can say it. Take, shit. Shit hit the yeah, fan. Yeah, the shit hit the fan. Um, so the next strategic thing that we wanted to do, and that I personally am very committed to as an activist, is we, you know, we are not, we're not going to back down from it. We just weren't. We weren't going to let go. We were going to call them out every chance we had. We were going to find all of the little cracks that we possibly could in the system and just break them down yeah. as much as we could. And then finally, you know, I, we have to give a lot of credit to the students still there who are passing legislation within student government to like mm -hmm. make this a thing. 
Uh, but we we pulled out all the stops, and that's eventually how it how it switched came to back. Be taken. Yeah. yeah, I I guess in my history uh, with churches, it always comes down to who the funders are, and yeah. um, the funders are usually the rich old white men. And I know that is hard for people to listen to, but it's always it, it's always the ultra conservative, the ones that um, are I. I guess this is pigeonholing too, but those Republican voices in the church and, or just like the, the, I, I, uh, have been spending some time thinking about this and I don't think my, my thoughts are, are like solidly formed, but, um, I do know that it's always the, the, the elder of, of the leadership that, uh, have the money and don't want anything to change. And um, mm -hmm. I'm just disgusted at the way that capitalism is a tool of conservative Christianity um, and in, 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 a, um, in a perverse way. Um, and like you, they knew what the right thing to do was. They, you guys made a very clear argument and you, you caught them red-handed trying to take away a right from you that they had no, no reason to take away. And they <laughs> made it right and then realized, oh shit, we're, we're not going to be able to pay for anything if we do this. And I'm just like, that's just, <sighs> how, do you, how do you separate church from money? You don't. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you can, but we, we did, you know, there are some benefits like to, in doing activism in these spaces because these aren't churches. They're held to accreditation standards. Mm. Universities have standards, yeah. you know, set forth by accrediting bodies. And that's the angle we were going down. So if they're going to take the right to discriminate, we're going to make sure that they're not violating their own policies. We're going to make sure that we know what their policies are and all those things. Whereas in a church, they can basically say and do whatever they want. People hand them money. No one's forcing anyone to pay tens of thousands of dollars in tuition. This is where we felt like we had the upper hand. And we knew that by and large, the, the trend was that enrollment is down across the United States at private, private Christian universities and seminaries. They're hurting. Mm -hmm. And um, Azusa Pacific, in particular, closed its 2017-2018 year $17 million in debt. So, huh. of, of course, reinstating this policy for them um, had financial implications. But I think at the end of the day, we we can use, um, sure, they're, they're, they might be, you know, white, old, rich folks. But um, we know how many liberal uh, folks are out there who yeah. I think would 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 back a university that was openly inclusive. Yeah. Um, so I definitely feel your frustration. It's something that needs to end and it's something that needs to change um, within churches in general. But I, I felt like if, it's also an angle we can use yeah. and pursue, like use against these universities yeah. for our benefit, like and say, how can you discriminate against someone but still be tax exempt? How yeah. is that possible? <laughs> how are you able to take application fees and not give informed consent to someone that if they're gay or lesbian or trans, they will be discriminated against at this university? So you better reimburse them their tuition funds. Mm. Like that's those are the kinds of things we're thinking about. Is like you didn't give informed consent, you mm. know. So we're working with church clarity as well. Yeah. On on like exposing mm -hmm. things that the public doesn't get to see. And it's true. If we're not having the conversation, then um, then they continue to get away with it. You know, I really uh, I love your tactics. And like, I admire your tactics and, um, I think that the work that you are doing is so powerful. Um, and it just takes me back to my soul force days because, you know, we, uh, on the equality ride, we went around to schools and tried to get them to change their policy policies, but we were only there for like, we were in the area for like three days max, you know, whereas 
you get to work with the university because you actually um, went to the school or go to the school or have people going there. Um, and this is a segue just to ask you about the work of Brave Commons. I don't think anybody, everybody who listens to this podcast knows what Brave Commons is, and I think that they should. Yeah, so, I mean, and just like before I speak about Brave Commons, I have to say that Soul Force, um, I know for myself and, and the others on the Brave Commons team, Soul Force is a mainstay. I couldn't have done the activism that I've done on these Christian universities without Soul Force, um, who is always there um, in these times of crisis for for LGBTQ students. Um, And they were there when the Azusa Pacific uh, stuff went down. That's awesome. So, yeah, Brave Commons meets that need, right, where where we, we recognize that we need a sustained presence. Um, even if we're remote, we, we ha- the three of us, Michael, Vasquez, Lauren, and I have a relationship mm-hmm. or multiple relationships with Christian universities. We have the trust of these students. We have intimate relationships with them. Um, and that is beginning to spread all across the country Uh, So I think really the timing was right for something like this to occur. And we knew that the small niche of what we were doing was so important because so many people are suffering and there's a shadow across LGBTQ students who are at Christian universities because the, the biggest question is like, why are you there? You know, it's your fault. You put yourself there like that kind of thing. Yeah. But so Brave Commons exists to, like, while we have our hands in other things, our mainstay is LGBTQ uh, plus students at Christian universities and helping them with a wide range of different needs, which will vary depending on where the school's located. Like if they're in the South versus California, the needs are going to be different. Um, so Michael, Lauren, and I have an expertise in all the varying differences between these universities, what they might need, and meeting those needs, Um, and and supporting and buttressing whatever these LGBTQ students are doing from the inside out and providing them with resources in the local community as well. I love it. (laughs) So it's basically just spreading queer intersectional glory on yes. all these Christian <laughs> university campuses. Um, and and at the same time, letting the universities know, hey, someone's here watching. Uh-huh. We, have, we have a presence through the students already on your campus who are feeding us information. Wow. Um, and that, that information is, is what we will make public and we'll, you know, we'll do everything to protect the student. Um, but that's so far that's basically how it's been working and it and a perfect example of that um that like being harmonized or that harmony mm-hmm. was the brave commons team working with the APU students incredible um recently you brave commons did a uh, a fundraiser we did yeah, yeah. Do you yeah, want to tell did. us about it <laughs> i do um we were so excited. Like we, we were raising the funds to file our 501c3 paperwork Woo! and we, we met the, the goal. So we're filing for our 501c3 and C4. Um, so I think, yeah, that'll just open up opportunities for us to get grants and to do uh, bigger things like retreats with students um, and actually be in their physical, pre- like bring them somewhere and have mm-hmm. sort of like, wild goose but better Mm. (laughs) like more queer more more poc oriented Mm -hmm. um safer Mm. less problematic but that's the kind of feel is to to have these students be in a a space that's retreat ish but they're also getting training um Mm. and work you know workshops and things like that that's one of the things we want to continue to do at brave commons but there's still ways to donate now. Okay. But the 501c3 fundraiser was like one of the big ones we had that That's, we 
that we hit. Yeah. It's awesome you guys are digging in your heels. I really loved uh, that, and I was happy to support it. And Thank hope. you so much, Crystal. <laughs> and I hope that our Bible app can continue to support you guys um, in the future. I know that um, you're writing a new devotional for us. And I am indeed. <laughs> Michael submitted his, and it was so good. His lunation right? piece, yes. Um, we'll see what happens with Lauren. I know <laughs> I'm trying to collect them all like you guys are Pokemons. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I think I think what's cool about, like, I mean, we love our Bible app. We love everything that you're doing. and, and like, Thank you. Thank God this resource is out for all of us, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what I really love about the Brave Commons crew is that we each bring something different and unique to the team. Lauren is more poetic, um, and she's the calming presence in our group. Michael and I are a, a bit more feisty, yeah. and um, you know he's he's an incredible preacher and mystic and. And yeah, wrote that amazing devotional. I'm a little bit more technical, biblical studies ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it it's great that our Bible app kind of features all those differences, and um, but it also so- shows the unity that we have as a Brave Commons team and the different things that we're able to do besides just our activism. You know? Yeah. Right yeah. too. I mean, I'm y'all have really powerful voices and. Um, I think a lot of times that can get drowned out when you are doing technical work, you are doing policy work. Um, people forget that you do have, um, a spirit of ministry inside of you. That's kind of fueling this desire to see, uh, uh, parity and equity, you know, in these spaces. And, um, I want to lift that up. I want people, um, like that's, that's the y'all's writing is the kind of writing that, I think powers the work that I do. You know, it's not just um, a pastor who has a pulpit who is writing something uh, because it's 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 what they have heard and is and is regurgitated from you know sermons that they've already made. What you guys are writing from is like lived experience. You guys are writing from um, from the bullpen, and you know I think that brings up a kind of energy to. Um, to the piece and, and to the app. And so, um, y'all can keep writing as, as long as, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> you love it. I, I, I think you're right too. Like, I feel like with so many of us, like queer people of color, um, in seminary too, coming up with these, you know, fresh takes on queer theology, yeah. on womanist theory, mm-hmm. on, you know, liberation theology and, and like, being hermeneutes and being exegetes mm, mm-hmm. and and turning that stuff out for the world to see and you giving us a platform to do it, like, that will change things. That will change the way we write, the way we think, the way churches and faith communities effectively do things. Yeah. Um, so I love that you give us a vehicle to do that. Thank you, um, friend. And I love how our, our community... The queer community, <laughs> like we have each other's backs, yeah, and yeah. we really are family. It's so wild. To I me. agree. I, I totally agree. Um, a couple of the writers um, in the app have actually passed through Philadelphia, and each one has ended up staying with me. And it was like the first time I met each of them was yeah, yeah. And I know that I I saw something on Twitter that you haven't met Lauren yet. Oh my gosh, yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. Um, I have not met Lauren or been in her physical presence, but I feel so closely connected to her. Like, she's my sister. Yeah. Lauren and I had been working together on other projects before Brave Commons started. Mm. And so we've, yeah, it's been a couple years now, so... Um, it needs to happen. But I think that just goes to show the strength and resiliency of our community and what we can do inside and outside of each other's presence when we do come together in community, when we can't come together in community, how vital it is 
that we stay together in the ways that we can. Yeah. Um, but it, you're right. Like when I get to finally see and meet the people that I'm uh, reading about on Twitter and, and, you know, who are my friends and followers and who I follow, I just like my heart swells up so huge. It, yeah. It's the best. It's really cool that we're finding ways of connecting and shrinking the, the distance between us, um, which is something like you and I didn't get when we were in high school and college. It was like, if you knew one, I mean, for me, it was like, if you knew one other gay person, um, I knew my friend Adam was gay. And the whole part, the whole thing was just watching his experience. Like, how's this going to work out for you, man? <laughs> you know, and it <laughs> just, you know, letting him walk the plank and not quite figuring out, like who, t- doing the work to figure out who I was. Um, and that's just um, a ridiculously hard place to live from a place of fear, a place of, you know, not, not wanting to know who you are. Um, and it breeds all the things that we're working against self-hatred and, um, internalized homophobia. And yeah, that got dark real quick, real quick. (laughs) (laughs) It's like on the the lighter side, like, I guess it's like, I mean, you and I, we had, we probably had pagers in high school, you know, now (laughs) Now it's all about the smartphone. I was not allowed to have anything until I had like a <laughs> tiny little flip phone. I did not have a pager. Oh my god, I had a pager. Wow, yeah. wow, that's. I just dated myself so so hard. I mean, I already I know I said my age earlier, but if you had a pager in high school, you know the the era. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Zach Morris era. The... Yes, Zach Morris. Wow. Wow. Well, I want to spend some time um, reflecting on what you've been able to learn in in this journey that you've been on and um, what tools you are using in or rituals you have in your everyday life. And I guess my first question is, how does the Bible manifest itself in your everyday life? I mean, I feel like that's a kind of an easy answer for me because I have to work with the Bible in mm-hmm. my everyday life. Um, like, for instance, right now, I'm, one of my classes that I'm taking is a um, the Hebrew Bible from the African-American perspective. And then I have a Hebrew exegetical class. So it's like I, I'm constantly not only working with the text in the original languages, but also using um, other books like August Wilson's play, you know, or some other authors who are having like the black perspective on the Hebrew Bible and stuff. So right now what, how the Bible kind of manifests for me Mm. is hearing different perspectives and stories and interpretations of the text. And I love that. It's so refreshing. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'd gotten to the point where I'm, you're, I don't know about you, but I got sick and tired of hearing the same kinds of applications Uh about stories from the Hebrew Bible or the women from the Hebrew Bible or the New Testament, whatever. And this just like, this is so rich and so dynamic and so full. And I'm just swimming in the middle of it. And I love it. I love that too. I guess if the Bible, the Bible is timeless. It's a timeless piece. It's something that we are able to carry from generation to generation. But for some reason, we've allowed uh, dogma to date it. And, you know, like, just like reading the Bible the same way for centuries. Come on, guys, we can do better than that. You know, like, we continue to change. Our stories continue to change. Um with each new person who encounters the Bible. It's insane that we just continue to look at those stories as if our, um, our history hasn't changed. Um, yeah. Right. Which is honestly, that's antithetical to everything that's happening in the Bible. Yeah. Like the people in the Bible, Mm -hmm. Israel, for instance, is constantly changing, constantly evolving, constantly up against so many obstacles 
Yeah. You know, it's like us. So that's mm. sort of how it's manifest in my life is like I, I can make those connections and like pull and draw from all these different stories and then also hearing um, other scholarly perspectives, womanist perspectives, liberation theologians' perspectives. You just get this whole other take and a way to see it that maybe you wouldn't have before like for myself because I'm white passing, you know, or because I like those things that I've never been shown before. Hmm. So it's just, it's, it's very cool. It is really cool. And yeah, we're pretty lucky. Um, hmm. um, my last question, and this is because I just feel like if we don't talk about purity culture, then we're allowing it to <laughs> control the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's true. Yeah. How how have, have your views on sex changed as you've grown? We got time. <laughs> oh, my, my, my. How they have changed. Um, I remember growing up, you know, being a young girl, and I the... The, even my own thoughts that I had about intimacy, I was just so ashamed of. Um, I was taught in my household too to like be ashamed of those kinds of those kinds of activities. I guess um, you know, and the on the proper setting for that is only within the context of a heterosexual marriage and within heteronormativity. Boring. So. Yeah, so boring. So even when I first started being able to step out in intimate um, experiences with women, there was still so much shame. There was oh, even yeah. more shame. It was like, oh my gosh, I'm doing something I'm not. I'm definitely not supposed to do, but I definitely want to keep doing this. Um, so there's like this cycle of or like. I don't even know what to call it of constant shame, but constant like, Oh yeah, I know I want to do this then shame about it. So it just goes over and over and over again. Um, thankfully I, now I, I don't feel that way. I've been able to, um, I'm very sex positive. I, yeah. Knocking boots is is all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I look like Song of Songs, you oh. know, is one of those texts I think that's, it's one thing to talk about liberation theology. I think it Song of Songs is sexually liberating hmm. um, because these folks are not married in the text. Um, yeah, you're right. There's, there's an assumption that they might be, but it's never explicitly said in the text itself. Like the paratextual chapter headings might say something else, but that was never included in the original text. Yeah. These folks are actively having sex, and they're not married, um, and they love each other. Um, so it's yeah. like, you know, and this is a book that everybody wants to avoid, right? Like no white cishet pastor wants to preach about Song of Songs. <laughs> No. He knows that that isn't manifest in his own life, probably. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think that time and when when you're with someone who is as equally interested as you are about experiencing different things in intimacy with each other, and you feel safe and comfortable doing that with them, um, I think those are the things that start to break down the barriers built up by purity culture. Yeah. You know, because you you can have those intimate moments and it deepens those relationships. It deepens your trust and love and all those things um, and not destroy anything, you know, the integrity of the relationship at all. It never says that in the biblical text. Yeah. Not in one place does it ever condemn sexual activity prior to marriage. Never. Yeah. So... It's something to think about. And, of course, I think being responsible with your partner is important. Loving someone is important. It, or, you know, and, can, and, like, asking ourselves, like, is what I'm doing an action of love toward this person? Mm -hmm. If it is, 
you know, I don't, what, I mean, you have to ask yourself again, what's wrong with that? Yeah. Nothing, right? Like, a lightning bolt isn't going to come down. It, no, it never does. <laughs> um, it never does. So it's just about, I think, um, yeah, like, first of all, even, uh, like, the place I started was like, okay, where in the text, like, if you're going to base everything off the biblical text, where is it that's guiding you toward a direction of purity culture? Because, you know, what points of the text are, like, structuring that for you? Um, there really isn't much. There's nothing. As a matter of there's, fact. there's, yeah, there's, um... Purity culture is based in some kind of control, some kind of um, use of power. And I like, I like that you say that, um, gosh, I just forgot it. <laughs> I just forgot it. I'm sorry. Um, but, so fine. but I think that we, I think that we as, as queer people are forced to ask these questions and um, I think it's really important that we're asking these questions about sex and sexuality in straight places because those folk are not woke. They are so not woke. Um, in fact, you know, I, I have to, I had to do like some brain training just to learn how to interact with like straight heteronormative women because they <laughs> act so Bless differently you. around um, men than they do women. And, um, you know, and it's just like, it's anyway, it's, it's, it's a whole hot mess. I'm still it, working through it. I think, I, I mean, I, I think we all are. And I think that's okay. Yeah. I think, especially if we're like, we know we want to move in a certain direction where like, we don't shame ourselves. Like God isn't shaming us. We don't need to feel badly about our bodies or sexuality, like all those things. Like, um, Jamie Lee Finch on Twitter and um, a few other folks on Twitter have really opened up my like eyes as far as like that liberative aspect around sex. Yeah, she's a good um, person to follow. Right, like yeah, she's a sex witch. I so, know. <laughs> um, but I I think that women especially, it's there is so much pressure. Like there's all these things, um, that we have to go through. So it, it really is maybe like a daily mantra thing that we have to like put in, into practice, um, the, how we're thinking about our bodies, our sex, sexuality, having sex or masturbation, like those kinds of things. Are we shaming ourselves for doing them? Or are we like giving ourselves a green light and go going like, yeah, you know, yeah, this is what, this is okay. And this is a natural part of how my body feels and how my brain works. And, and, um, you know, I'm created in the image of God and God created my body to do all these yeah. awesome things. Right. Awesome so things. Pretty, yeah. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, for a second there, you were actually preaching and I'm wondering what you're doing with your degree. Um, when you're done, <laughs> is that, is that something you're interested in? Preaching. Um, Pastor Green. I, yeah, I, so we preach on a ratio every Sunday, like we rotate between Michael Lauren and I, and I'm, I, I am more, pro I want to get a PhD. I want to teach. I want to be a professor, okay. like doing these kinds of things. But you're just going to keep going. Wow. I'm going to keep going, but I also recognize the power of preaching and the power of pastoral care and pastoral witness and ministering. Um, so I'm, I'm keeping my options open for that. Um, okay. But, but my, my heart is like stuck in the nerdy Bible stuff, but like, unraveling it in a way that's more accessible to everybody else because I feel like some of these like the old school theologians and stuff the these papers are 
And these texts are really difficult to understand. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, discursive power over these things and epistemic power has been just transferred between white men to white, Mm. other white dudes. Mm -hmm. So it's like, we have to be able to maybe like reword some of these things for our community so, so they can learn and have access to these pieces too and like get inspired about some of those maybe more nerdy parts about the Bible that they may have never known about. Like, why should this only live between white men, like Mm -hmm. white male scholars? So that's something I'm really passionate about is bringing it to the people, bringing it to the people. I'm launching my website this weekend and it's going to have treating um, those kinds of things, like making hermeneutics and exegesis really accessible, really easy and fun. What is, um, what is your website? It's just erinrgreen.com. And what are you doing on it each week? Is it up right now? Can I go look at it? No, it's not launched yet. Okay. Um, <laughs> it will be this weekend. Okay. Um, it's going to be blog posts, and I'm going to have guest writers as well. But it will it will be on, like, sex, sexuality, life mm. stuff, but also, like, easily understandable like exegetical pieces about like being gay you know jesus those kinds of things having sex you know in the bible what does it look like what did it look like in antiquity um and how to access some of the um like different resources Hmm. and and books and things like that 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 aren't like you know you have to know hebrew to to be able to understand the book yeah so yeah, the first one I'm writing about is on Jesus and homosexuality. Okay. That's going to be short. Jesus <laughs> didn't say much. He didn't say anything. Uh, but but conservative scholars think he said a lot um, in the verse in Matthew 19 on divorce. Okay. So I'm talking about Ooh. that little bit. I can't wait. Yeah, thank you. Um, where else can people find you online? This has been really fun chatting with you. <laughs> yeah, this I've enjoyed it so much. Um, I'm on all the social media. I'm on uh, Facebook and Twitter. I can't remember my handles right now. Oh, God, let's find <laughs> them. The yes, that's exactly what it is. I've had to search for it so many times. Oh, my gosh. And my Facebook one... Yeah, it's like underscore running errands, yeah. I think, on Instagram and on Twitter. Okay. And Facebook.com um, slash Aaron.BraveComics. <laughs> They're all different. Wow. Okay. I'm going to have to like put that in the show notes. Otherwise, people won't be able to find you. Um, I'm sorry. Say that again, I lost my headphone. Oh, I said I'm going to put it in the show notes so that people can actually find you. Um, because Yes, that's great. Yes, I get excited about um, the conversations that I get to witness on Twitter. Um, so, other people so should join in. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. I really appreciate you tuning in every week. Um, Next week, we'll be hearing from Joss Nunez of Soul Force. And after that, I have Samantha Field, another author who has decided to uh, contribute some devotional material to the app. So look forward to that. Um, You can find me anywhere as Crystal Cheatham or on Instagram as The Cheat. And um, yeah, I'll smell you later. Okay, bye.